Well, friends, I want to encourage you to take your copy of the scripture this morning and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 13 in just a moment. You know, a, a number of years ago, researchers performed an experiment to see the effect of hope and how it has for those who are undergoing hardship. And so this is the idea that these brilliant scientists came up with. They took uh, two sets of laboratory rats, and they put uh, one of the groups of rats in a separate tub of water, and they did all that they could to keep their head above the water. The researchers uh, ultimately found that uh, these rats all drowned. Big shocker there, I'm sure. But the second group, they did something a little different. They put the same, their rats in the same bucket of water, but every once in a while they would take them out. And then they put them back in. Somehow those particular rats, knowing that someone might reach down and grab them and pick them up, kept them going for days. The power of hope. Hope. Biblical hope is not the same thing as the hope that we use. Like, I hope it's sunny on Tuesday because we're traveling. I hope. What we really mean is I wish. And wishes are as good as the wish themselves. Really. <laughs> they don't affect much. But hope, hope, my friends, is the anticipation of of an event occurring. Anticipation. Something is certain to happen and you are just waiting for it. Perhaps someone to fly home from Bangkok you haven't seen in four and a half years, like my son, waiting for the car to pull up in the driveway. You know it's going to happen. And hope is the anticipation of it happening. And those rats understood that. Like, who doesn't? That this suffering is not all that there is. There is more. Today in our study, we're going to learn what the hope of the church is and what brings comfort to those who mourn. You see, there was a situation going on in the church at Thessalonica in which... Uh, there were believers who had died and the remaining believers wondered, oh no, they died so they're going to miss out on the return of Jesus. And they were particularly sad because of this. Not only did they lose these friends and family members, they thought they were going to lose out on the great event of the return of Christ. But they were wrong. And Paul lays out that, that, uh, that truth here in verses 13 to 18 of chapter 4. And then we'll look at chapter 5 to see a little bit more of the argument of the return of Christ. So take a look with me, if you will. What we're looking at here and talking about is something called the rapture of the church. 
Now, y'all go home and you Google the word rapture, or maybe you got one of those electronic Bibles on your phone and look for rapture, guess what? You're not going to find it in the Bible. So why are we talking about it? <laughs> because the concept is there, my friend. The term rapture is used in theology to describe the events of the carrying away of the church from earth to heaven. And what we're going to see in this passage is that there will be a day, and we don't know when it will be, but it can be any moment. There is nothing else in Bible history and prophecy that needs to happen before this event. Now, when you say, what is this rapture? That it, it is uh, The English word rapture comes from the Latin word rapi rapio. Okay, so you can see where they get rapture from the Latin. Not terribly helpful. But it means to seize or to snatch. Or the actual removal of something from one place to another. And that is going to happen to the church one day. You'll be going along, and maybe in your lifetime, and I, I sure hope it is, that the Lord will return, and the dead in Christ will rise. And if you are alive and remain, you will gather together with them in the earth. And that is our passage here this morning. So let's take a look at what Paul teaches about this event. You will notice he says, but well, we do not want you to be uninformed brothers. I grew up reading the King James and the word was ignorant. The word ignorant simply means you don't know something. You know, it's, it's, it, it tends to have a negative connotation. I suppose if you should know something and you don't, you know, that, that, that has a negative connotation. But, uh, but what we're looking at here, my friends, is Paul's concern that they don't know about this. Event. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Now, when the New Testament talks about people who are asleep, he's not talking about people taking a nap. You see, what happens at death for the believer is there's the body and the body is at rest, right? But the person is gone. The soul spirit is in the presence of God. So it appears to be asleep. And that's all he's talking about. He's basically talking about believers who have died. And I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And so in talking about the rapture, the, one of the sources of our hope is that we know this. There is no hope if you don't know the truth. There is no hope. And so the revelation is necessary for knowing this truth. But notice what he says here. He clarifies the truth and then he comforts the grieving with this. He says this, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. You see, when we put somebody in the ground, we attend the funeral and they're wailing and gnashing their teeth and great sadness, Friends, if they're a believer, we don't mourn like everyone else. Their mourning entails this. I will never see them again. They are gone. Not so for the believer. Not so for you and I, my friends. 
And so he begins with this revelation. You need to know this truth so that you will not grieve as others who have no hope. See, we have hope. And our hope is in the return that Jesus is coming for his church. Look at verse 14. And this truth, my friends, is certain. Look at how Paul phrases this. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So when it comes to the return of Christ, this truth is absolutely certain. It is as certain as the fact that Jesus died for our sin and that he rose from the dead. That is the basis, Paul says, as true as this is, so is this truth. But since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The dead in Christ will accompany Jesus when he returns. Now this return is in the air. There is another return that we'll talk about uh, that's uh, recorded in Matthew 24 25 in which the feet of Jesus will touch the Mount of Olives in his return. And the mountain will split in half. That's not what we're reading about here. This is something different just for the church. And so the dead in Christ will accompany Jesus when he comes. They're not going to miss this great event. They're going to be there first. And as a matter of fact, that's what he emphasizes. With the resurrection, the dead in Christ will be first. He says, for this we declare to you, verse 15. This we declare to you by a word from the Lord. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. There is no advantage, as they thought, to still being alive in the return of Christ. You see, they thought, oh, poor those people, they won't be Oh, They're going to be there. They're going to be there. And we as the church will be snatched away, my friends. And so we talk about the return of Jesus coming for the church. The resurrection, the dead in Christ will rise first. It's the first resurrection. Oh, there's going to be a great resurrection when all the dead are raised, my friend. And people will either go into judgment or they will go to paradise. Great resurrection of the dead. But this is about the church. This is about the church. Now take a look at the details here as we look at uh, the end of verse 15 to 17. He lays out the, the rapture, the details. Notice the sounds related to this rapture. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Now what we don't know is if the whole world will hear this or not. We know that when the Lord said, Behold, this is my beloved Son here, and people said, Was that thunder? What was that? But we know it's going to be noisy. 
kids gonna be nobody's gonna miss this stuff, friends. Doesn't matter if you got earbuds on or headphones on or you listen to music really loud because you can't hear that well anymore. <laughs> We're gonna hear this. The sounds related to the rapture. And notice, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And again, what we're talking about here is those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, that he died for their sin and rose from the dead. Those who have trusted Christ but have died will be raised first. The dead in Christ will be raised first. Notice the word then. Following this event, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now those, those words, caught up in the air, is all one word in the Greek. Harpazo needs to be snatched away. Just like that. In a moment. The twinkling of the eye. Now scientists have proved that the twinkle of the eye is 17 times faster than the wink of the eye. Okay, I made that part up. But the rest of it is absolutely true. What we're talking about here is the rapture. That the Lord brings the church to himself, those who have died and those who still yet live. And it will all be marked by one word. Reunion. We will see them again. We will see them again. Look at that verse, the end of verse 17 and verse 18. And so... There's this, the final event. This is the final uh, result of all of these events. We will always be with the Lord. And other believers, too. Because we're going to meet it in the air. That is the hope of a believer. Then he gives us an instruction here in verse 18. He says, therefore... Encouraged one another with these words. There is more. There is the hope of reunion. Union in Christ, reunion with other believers. We will see him again. Let me come to chapter 5. Because we've got all kinds of time here this morning. In chapter 5, we pick up a topic called the Day of the Lord. The Day of the Lord. The Day of the Lord is a future period of time referred to many Old Testament prophets in which God will be at work in the world's affairs more directly and dramatically than he has been since the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus. The day of the Lord will include both great judgment and great blessing. And it begins immediately, I would suggest, after the rapture of the church. And it ends with the conclusion of the millennial kingdom of Christ. We sang about it this morning. His kingdom will never end. Yeah, his reign will never end. And so the definition of the day of the Lord here, it is this future time 
where many events will take place, we will already be gone. We will already be gone. The rapture will take place, but all of these events will still yet occur. Now notice about the timing that he lays out for us in verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, he says, you have no need to have anything written to you. Apparently they knew this stuff well. He says, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And so this day, this time period will come like a thief in the night. And what does that mean? A thief comes in the night. So what are the, some of the words we use to describe that event? Unexpectedly? Suddenly? We didn't know. Surprisingly? Like a thief in the night. And notice verse 3. And while people are saying, there is peace and security that sudden destruction will come upon them. And you know how it will come? Like labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Suddenly. As if out of nowhere. As if nobody knew it was coming. Now those, uh, those words, the people are saying peace and security. There's a video on YouTube that I'm going to post on Facebook today of world leaders constantly using these terms. And it has been going on for years. Peace and security. Peace and security. And Paul says, while people are saying this, sudden destruction will come upon them. So we see the definition that the day of the Lord is this, this coming season, this coming period of time that will include both blessing and severe judgment. The timing. No one knows when. But it's coming. It's going to happen. It will come unexpectedly. It will come suddenly. And Paul lays forth this question. How then should you live in light of these truths? How then should we live? Verse 4, Paul says, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night and of darkness. So then wake up. Wake up. He says, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. Wake up, my friends. Sober up, my friends. And what he means is to start getting serious. Be alert. Live with awareness. But since we, verse 8, belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith, out of love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. 
You say, what's this hope of salvation? Remember, salvation begins the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You are saved from the penalty of sin. And then comes the sanctification aspect in which God is saving us from the power of sin. But the ultimate climax of our salvation is when we are delivered absolutely from the very presence of sin. That is the hope of our salvation. And we will all be new. No sin nature. Nothing to be ashamed of in our lives. Wondering if someone heard, or if someone saw, or if someone knew. Clean we will be. That is the hope of salvation. So wake up, and sober up, and look up, verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath. That is not in our future, my friends. Oh, wrath is coming. But it ain't for me and you. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. That is the hope of a believer. Whether we are awake, whether you are living or whether you have died, you will be with Jesus. So therefore, therefore, in light of these truths, Paul says, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you have been the return of Jesus, my friend, is the hope of the faithful believer. Blessed is the one who is faithfully serving our Lord Jesus when he returns. Oh, to be found faithful. But think of the shame of the one who is careless. The one who is unfocused. The one who thought, eh, that's for other Christians, not me. Know this, my friend. Know this word, the return of the church, the return of Christ for the church is imminent. Which means, before I finish my next word, this could happen just like that. You want to be found faithful for that, my friend, don't you? Don't you want to return and, and, and when he returns to see you living out your faith, growing in your faith, so that you might stand before him? And he says, well done. Well done. Well done. So it's imminent. Any moment. Get busy. We're going to be reunited with those who have died in I will see my mom and my dad, and I can't wait. They died way too young, in their 50s and just hit 60s. Can't wait to see them. And other believers, you know what? Probably going to be surprised to see a few. 
at the terrified face, perhaps there's some people I anticipated be available now. Be sure that you are trusted in Christ, my friend. Let us remember in the end, we win. Whatever it costs you here, it will be worth it. Whatever it costs. I once read about a quaint inscription on a gravestone in an old British cemetery. It wasn't far from Windsor Castle. And it read, pause, my friend, as you walk by, as you are now, so once was I. I am now, as I am now, so you will be. Prepare, my friend, to follow me. A visitor, certainly who must have read this epitaph, added these words. To follow you is not my intent until I know which way you went. <laughs> Follow those who are following Christ hard. Follow him. Oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for these promises that we have, the hope that we have in the return of Jesus. Regardless of our days, we all end up well by faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your goodness to us, for there is not a one of us that is worthy, but you have chosen us to be worthy. We are grateful. Help us to live well in light of these truths, and help us work hard to bring others with us. May this in Jesus' name. Did y'all get one of these? We're gonna, we're gonna talk about the Lord. His death on the cross for our sin. If you didn't get one, somebody should get one. Some over there. How great a salvation has God given? How great is God to not just forgive us and say live your life, <coughs> but to give us a life worth living. To hope. To know that this is just the beginning. There isn't a one of us here that has to say, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have known Jesus? Oh, you will, my friends. You will. But let's not forget what it cost him. The humility of taking on humanity. The neediness. Imagine the God who created all of these things being hungry. The one who is the source of all goodness. Knowing sadness. Pain. You know, if you got your opportunity to choose the way that you die, 
I'll bet you nine out of ten of us, uh, ten out of eleven out of ten of us would not choose crucifixion. You remember the details, right? You know, we talk about the, the nails to this wrist as if. Friends, that would be a good day at crucifixion if that was it. But it was the suffocating. Every breath. Imagine what it cost him just to say it is fitted. That's what it costs you to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. And that's what he meant when he looked at his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. Remember the great tears, drops of blood, Asking, Lord, if there's another way. Nonetheless, your will be done. And he dies for me. There's a time in church history and I was but a wee lad, in which much was said about the blood of Christ. It's a euphemism for his death. The power, it's the blood, it's the blood. No, it is the fact that the Son of God went to the cross for you. He shed his blood, which means he died. The very penalty for sin that you owe, and that I owe. That he was willing to die like this. You covenant with my blood. What do you think of these things, my friends? Y'all stand up. I do it. Let's sing. It's the name of the song, by the way. Thank <laughs> you.